And Father God, we praise you for the, the riches of your word. Father, we praise you that it helps us to make sense of this world. And it shows us who you are in your matchless glory and grace. So Father, help us to see more of your character this morning and what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. Amen. So how have we found the last few months of lockdown? There might have been some unexpected blessings, perhaps reconnecting with old friends and family in a new way over Zoom and WhatsApp, perhaps uh, enjoying more time with family at home or getting into healthier routines or, or realising we don't need our, our haircuts so often. But lockdown will have brought its uh, challenges as well. Perhaps there has been a toll on our mental health with more anxiety as the virus continues to spread in the world. Perhaps we're grieving the loss of a loved one um, and we're saddened by the, 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 the deaths each day we see, we see in the news. Maybe we've had more sleepless nights over job security or being furloughed and all the uncertainty that that brings. Or perhaps the pressure at work has only increased as we've had to work, uh, work from home and juggle home commitments. For some of us, we've had uh, too few people around us. I know I've certainly missed seeing uh, friends and family and seeing the church family each week. Or maybe we've had too many people around us. We've been cooped up too long and relationships have become bristly and they've become uh, uh, friction and arguments have uh, developed. And as we come out of lockdown, there will be many challenges ahead as we, get to use, as we get used to living life in this new way. But it's not just in lockdown that life has its share of blessings and challenges. We know we live in a good but broken world. Our world is riddled by sin and it's full of trouble and toil. So our question this morning is what do we do when life looks bleak? Well, there are three main responses to that question. How we respond to this toilsome, troublesome world. The first response is sugar-coated optimism, that life isn't that bad, and that human ingenuity will fix the problems of our world. We like to hear positive messages and propaganda that humans can fix the world. Think of the uh, politicians who can spin any situation into a positive light. And there is a temptation for us as Christians to bind this sugar-coated optimism. We believe our own propaganda by saying, if only I get that dream job or that relationship or that success I desire, then all my problems will be sorted and all my problems will, be fade, uh, will fade away. The second response is resigned cynicism, saying that things are bad and that there's no hope for this world. What starts off as a grumble, as uh, the frustrations we experience, can become an ingrained bitterness and that person becoming a resigned cynic. But Psalm 90 shows us a different way. The wise response doesn't ignore reality, but listens to God's word and believes his promises. Psalm 90 gives us the vital uh, reality we need and the vital perspective we need. And instead of bitter cynicism, Psalm 90 points the way to a, a lifetime of joy and gladness, even in 
our troublesome world. But let's um, uh, have a get our bearings. We're told that Psalm 90 is the prayer of Moses, the man of God. And Psalm 90 is uniquely the one Psalm of Moses we have. There are many Psalms of David and Psalms of Asaph, the temple leader. But we only have one Psalm of Moses, which is Psalm 90. And Moses famously was the, the leader of God's people in slavery in Egypt and had been for hundreds of years. And God through Moses miraculously led his people out of slavery uh, in the Exodus. So the Israelites at this time, being slaves in Egypt, knew the frustrations of this world as much as we do, if not more. And Psalm 90 would resonate strongly with many generations through the Bible, and particularly with the, the generation in exile. Psalm 90 is the first of book four, which, is, which has a strong exile resonance. It comes after the end of book three, Psalm 89, which reflects on the dwindling hope of the, the Davidic king. After terrible years of kings and idolatry, the kingdom of Israel had been torn in two, and the once bright hope of the Davidic king had grown dim, and God's people had ended up far away in exile, far away from God's presence, and serving pagan kings. And so that generation too knew the frustrations and toil we experience. And so Psalm 90 speaks with the same relevance uh, today. Psalm 90 gives us a healthy dose of perspective and shows us the way to joyful hope. And Moses this morning has two key truths from Psalm 90. The first is that God is eternal, and that's in one and two. And secondly, that life is short, and that's in verses three to 11. So the first key truth that Moses wants us to know is that God is eternal. Look, uh, look down with me at verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 90. Moses starts his psalm by saying that the Lord our God has been our dwelling place through all generations. And that's a wonderful truth that he begins with. That God is our dwelling place, our tabernacle, our place of safety and refuge in the trials. He is the one place we can find eternal security. And Moses speaks from personal experience. After God rescued the, the Israelites from slavery, he provided for them and protected them in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. And God has been our dwelling place through all generations. He is the eternal dwelling place of his people. So all through Bible history, in the good times, in the, in the promised land, and in the bad times, away from the land. God has proved his faithfulness to his people again and again. And in our own experience, God continually proves his faithfulness as our dwelling place. As I look back on my life, there are many times where God has carried me uh, through those hard times. And if you've been following the Lord Jesus for some time, then I'm sure you too know something of God's faithfulness as our dwelling place. And God is our dwelling place through all generations because he is the everlasting God. Have a look down at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So no matter how far you wind the clock back, through all generations, before he made the mighty mountains, 
and he formed the world. He is the everlasting God. And no matter how far you wind the clock forwards, God is there. God is the everlasting God. It's a happy coincidence that David uh, Reed spoke about this this morning in the children's talk with that illustration of that thread, which goes through, uh, which goes on forever, speaking of God's eternality. And all of this means is that God is far, far bigger than we can ever imagine. All of time and space is in his hands. All of history is before him like a painting. This pandemic we find ourselves in is all part of God's sovereign plan. Isaiah 40, 12 says that God uh, can measure out the universe with a hand whip. He is not some helpless idol, a small man-made version. No, God is far, far bigger than we can fathom. He is our eternal creator and our eternal dwelling place. All of time is under his reign and he uses all of history to accomplish his purposes. So God is big enough to sort out the problems in this world. The problems which seem enormous to us, God has the power to restore this whole world. So that's the first truth that Moses wants us to have in place. God is our eternal dwelling place. But secondly, by contrast, life is short. And that's in verses three to 11. Let's read from verse three. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. This is an echo back to Adam and Eve in the garden after they had rebelled against God by eating the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge. And God said to them in Genesis 3.19, For dust you are, and to dust you will return. In other words, they will die, and their life will come to an end. And ever since Adam and Eve, death has been an ever-present enemy in our world. That's the sobering reality, that we will all return to dust, that we will all die. Now, people sometimes joke that there are two unavoidable realities in our world, taxes and death. Well, you can avoid your taxes for some time, though not advisable, but we cannot avoid our deaths. And it's this reality of us dying one day that we try and ignore day to day. Most of the time we're pretty successful by burying ourselves in our busyness. And perhaps in this uh, pandemic, uh, death has been much more on our radar. And so Moses reminds us that death entered this world through Adam, but also that life has been cut short. Have a look at verse four. So compared to God's endless eternity, our life is just a passing day. For a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch of the night. From God's perspective, human kingdoms fall in a blink. Our human successes and achievements last only a few minutes from God's perspective. But life from our perspective is short as well. And Moses uses several images to convey this uh, shortness of life. Verse five, we're swept away like a flood. So our sandcastles of achievement we spend years building are swept away in moments when the tide of death comes. Any fame and prestige and recognition we've had in this life will soon be forgotten in a hundred years time or so. How many of us know the names of our great grandparents, uh, where they lived and uh, what, who they married? 
if if we forget our families in a hundred years, how much more so will we be forgotten by wider society? All of us will be washed away like a sandcastle on, on a beach. Verse five, we see another image. Life is like a dream. A dream can be so vivid and exciting. But five minutes after we wake up, more often than not, the dream evaporates from our minds. And life is like, like that dream. Or verse five, uh, we're like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. Now Moses isn't talking about evergreen rainy England, uh, where the grass is always green. No, he, he's thinking about grass growing in the hot desert, where in the morning it will be uh, nice and flourishing, but in the evening it will fade and wither. And so yes, there is a time of flourishing in our lives, a time of great satisfaction to be had. But there will also be a time when we will fade away in our old age. A couple of weeks ago, I went to visit my grandma uh, up in Cheshire. And I asked her how quickly her life had gone. And she, like Moses, said that life is so, so short. It goes by so fast. So that's the uncomfortable truth this morning. Life is short. But Moses explains that life is short because God cuts it short and we're sinners under God's anger. Have a look down at verses seven and eight. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Sinners living in God's world as though he weren't there. It's taking the good gifts that God gives us of friendship, family, food, uh, relationships and holidays, and so much more, but rejecting the giver, treating these gifts from God as givens. And sin at its heart is far more than breaking God's law. It's acting as lawmakers. We say in our hearts, I will make up the rules for my life. And we airbrush God out of the picture. Or sin can manifest itself by worshiping a small God, a small made up version of the true eternal God. And by doing so, we attempt to dethrone God and put ourselves on the throne. And outside of Jesus, we were all rebels facing God's anger. But when we hear we're, we're sinners deserving God's anger, our ears prick up a bit, don't they? Or maybe we inwardly recoil. But God's anger isn't like our anger when we fly off the handle and blow things out of proportion. Now God's anger is his white hot hostility towards evil in this world. It's pure, righteous, and settled. His anger at our sin and evil in our hearts flows out of his perfect goodness and righteousness. When we allow evil to flourish and terrible injustice occurs, it angers our righteous God. And his anger shows how much he cares for, for his people and his world. God isn't some distant grandfather figure who sweeps sin under the carpet. No, God's anger towards sin and evil flows out of the mighty depths of his righteousness. And in his anger, ever since Adam and Eve, this world has been under God's curse, full of trouble, toil, and curse. 
So the brokenness we experience, the discord in relationships, the shortness of life, all of these things points to God's curse on this world. And here in Psalm 90, we see echoes of that curse. I will look down at verses 9 and 10. All our days uh, pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. And I'm sure we know this rings true, that our world is full of toil and trouble. Perhaps this has been brought more into focus uh, during this pandemic, with the frustrations of working from home, or relationships being strained by being cooped up together, or dealing with the council and all its complexities. I'm sure we can think of many uh, examples of the frustrations we know. And as I said, there are many uh, responses to these frustrations we experience. We can either believe our own propaganda, that human cleverness will sort out this broken world. And I suppose a lot of us occupy ourselves by being as busy as possible. So we don't have to wrestle with these, re with re with these realities. Verse 11 says, who, consider the, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's so much easier in our sinfulness to ignore such questions. But as we shall see, the wise person shapes their lives around these truths, that God is eternal and life is short. And so in verses 12 to 17, we see the response of the wise person, the prayers of the wise person. We see five things. The wise number their days. The wise cry out to God in their troubles. The wise rejoice in God's steadfast love each day. The wise seek God's glory and the wise labor for the Lord. So in response to these truths that God is eternal and that life is short because God cuts it short. Firstly, the wise number their days. Have a look down at verse 12. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I suppose naturally we don't number our days. We think we will live forever. Hence this prayer for us to learn how to count our days. Now, I don't think this means that every day we're going to wake up and say, this is day 9,453 and I have an expected 20,000 days left to live. That would just be weird, wouldn't it? But I think it means thinking about our deaths seriously, thinking about our deaths more often than we should, more often than we do. And it, thinks, and it means thinking, one day I'm going to die. So how can I serve the Lord today? How can I serve the Lord in the time remaining? And because our lives are short and so, so fast, it gives us a real urgency to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. How Jesus is the one from all eternity who came and lived in this cursed world. He lived the perfect life that we can never live and he died the death that we deserve. And he drained the cup of God's anger so that we could be forgiven and welcomed into God's family. And all people outside of Christ are under God's anger. And every, everyone who's ever lived will come face to face with the Lord. And God will ask us, did you put your, your trust in my son Jesus? Did you turn and live for him? 
And so we need to get people ready for that day. Our friends, families, colleagues, everyone we meet needs to be ready for that day. And so it's by learning to count our days, knowing that life is short, it wakes us up to the urgency of taking the good news about Jesus to the ends of the earth. The world is perishing and desperately needs the Lord Jesus. And each day God gives us is a day to live for him, serve him and speak for him. There's a corny saying which goes, you need to count your days to make your days count. Secondly, the wise cry out to God in their troubles. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. The godly response in trials doesn't bury our, uh, isn't to bury our heads in the sand. It's not to, to depend on our own self-sufficiency, but it's to cry out to God in our troubles. Followers of Jesus aren't immune from life's troubles. They're far from it. If anything, being a follower of Jesus only adds to our troubles as we may be persecuted for his name. And so the wise person cries out to God in their distress. This, this prayer uh, of, the, of the wise crying out to God is a prayer that God loves to answer. Just as he answered the groans of his people in slavery and in exile, so he will answer the prayers of his people now. Remember the, the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. God isn't an uncaring judge who doesn't care about men. No, he loves and cares for us deeply as our heavenly father. And he, and he will answer the prayers of his people and he will see that they get justice and quickly. So in our trials, let's cry out to God, our father, our eternal dwelling place. And thirdly, the wise person rejoices in God's steadfast love every day. Uh, let's read uh, verse 14 together. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's love towards sinners is so unimaginably deep and enormous. God's love for us in Christ never ends and never wavers. And God displayed his boundless love for us on the cross. Romans 5 verse 8, a famous verse says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As sinners, as God belittling rebels, we were in God's eyes completely unlovely, deserving the full force of his anger. Yet God gave up his infinitely precious son to save us. Jesus wasn't some unwilling participant. He could have turned back at any point. Instead, he chose the cross. And Jesus, the righteous one, drained the cup of God's anger that would take an eternity to pour out on me. And he bore the curse of this entire world so that we could receive God's eternal blessing. And Moses only saw in part God's steadfast love. But this side of Jesus uh, on the cross, we can be absolutely sure that God's, God's love for us in Christ is completely steadfast and infinite. And so the wise person in Psalm 90, every morning satisfies themselves in God's steadfast love. 
And as we do that, that will lead to a lifetime of joy and gladness, even in this cursed and broken world. What does verse 15 uh, say? Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen trouble. So this verse promises a joy and gladness, even in our sorrows, as we, we rejoice in God's steadfast love for us every day. But what does this mean? to rejoice in, the, in God's steadfast love every day. Well, I think practically speaking, it means rehearsing the gospel to ourselves day by day. So every day I say to myself, I am a sinner saved by vast undeserved grace in Christ. Jesus has defeated sin, death and evil, and he promises to bring his people to a perfect world. And his love for us is so impossibly deep that displayed on the cross. It's these truths and more I tell myself every day. I suppose that's one way we can rejoice in, in God's steadfast love each day. But as we do so, that will lead us to a lifetime of joy and gladness. And fourthly, the wise desire to see God's glory more and more. It's a wonderful thing when you first become a Christian and your eyes are opened to see just how extraordinarily gracious God is towards us. And that initial opening of our eyes only increases as we go on in the Christian life. And God loves to answer this prayer, to show us his glory. And so when we cry out to him to see his glory, God will reveal us himself, reveal himself to us. And finally, verse 17, the wise cry out to God, to establish the work of their hands. If we live for ourselves and uh, seek to build our own empires, ultimately they will turn to piles of dust. But if we serve the Lord and labour for him, our labour for him is never in vain. That's what we heard in our, our second reading in 1 Corinthians 15, that because of Jesus' resurrection, no act of obedience to God, small or great, goes unnoticed. And God, by his grace, may use our labours for him to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so, so tying things together, God is eternal and life is sure. And so my prayer for us at St. John's from Psalm 90 is that Psalm 90 would become our song, that we would recognise that God is our eternal dwelling place. He is our eternal security. But life is short. There is an urgency in our lives. The world is perishing and desperately needs Christ. And that every day is a gift to serve and speak for the Lord Jesus. May we learn to count our days so we can learn to be wise. May we grow in dependence to the Lord and in the trials we face. And may each day, may we be so satisfied in God's steadfast love for us and the Lord Jesus. That, that even in this uh, toilsome and troublesome world, you may have a lifetime of joy and gladness serving him. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you are the everlasting God, our dwelling place through all generations. Help us to take these realities to heart, that you are eternal and that life is short. Teach us to number our days and, and help us to rejoice in your steadfast love day by day. And thank you that every day is a gift to serve you. 
And so, Father, help us to serve you day by day and rejoice in you all our days. For the glory of your name. Amen.